If you would, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Our passage today is verses 1 through 6, but uh, it's 4 through 6. That's what that says. I'm going to read 1 through 6 because it's short and because I think the context will help us as we look at verses 4 through 6. So, um, brief reminder, if you don't have a Bible with you, the passage is on the inside cover of the bulletin, at least verses 4 through 6, not the ones I decided to add in last night. Uh, But... um, You can also flip in one of the Pew Bibles to page 977 and uh, see the passage there. The black ones are Pew Bibles, the red ones are hymnals. We don't actually have pews, but you get the idea. Without further ado, uh, further ado. That was interesting, huh? Um, Without further ado, unnecessary details. Let's, Let's look to the reason we're here. Let's hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh God, you're good and what you do is good. We need to remember that daily and you give us the sunrise and so many other things to remind us that Regardless of what we do, you are still upholding the world by the word of your power and how grateful we are for that. Would you speak to us now and remind us all the other things that you can do, are doing in our hearts and lives. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. This we ask in Jesus' great name. Amen. Maintain what is indestructible. Is that a contradiction? Same time, isn't that exactly what Paul tells us to do here? Maintain your indestructible unity in oneness. How do we make sense of that? Well, to borrow from John Stott, what Paul means is that your indestructible unity as a body of Christ should be reflected by actual, visible displays of unity. It's not that crazy, right? We as Christians should not be a walking contradiction. We should be eager to maintain the unity that we already have through the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. We began walking down this road a couple weeks ago, didn't we? It's the narrow road of ordinary radical Christianity that loves our enemies, prays for those who persecute us. It's ordinary, it's expected of all Christians, but it's fairly radical that we would love the unlovable as God in Christ loved us. No, it's not easy. That's not why we do it. It's supposed to be hard. Hard is what makes it great. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. If you know where that line comes from, I'll give you a free cough drop until I run out of them. (laughs) And you are doing this. I see it by God's grace. Praise the Lord for that. It's it's a glory to overlook an offense. It's, It's a good thing to work through the hard stuff, to turn the other cheek, all those things. I said two weeks ago, what problems do we have among us? 
that can't be solved with more humility, more gentleness, more patience, more forbearance, more love. But Matt, how on earth do you expect me to do those things? By striving with all of his energy that he so powerfully works within us. As Colossians 1.29 says, God's commands should bring us to the end of ourselves. It should bring us to a point where we say, I can't do that. I can't do all that God calls me to do. That's a wonderful place to be if you have a Savior who died for you and rose again. If you have a Savior who died to bring dead men and women back to life. Jesus once said, Lazarus, come out, said those words to a dead man. Kind of wonder if people laughed when they, what, what is this guy doing? It was Jesus, so maybe they had a clue. But the dead man rose. The dead man walked. Why is it any different for you and me? Ephesians 2 says we were once dead. Why should we expect something less than what Ephesians 3 says? Why should we expect something less than more than all that we can ask or imagine? I can't solve every problem in this world or in Colorado Springs, even in my own life, but I can tell you how God wants his church to walk and live, walking worthy of our calling, walking in purity, walking in unity walking in the power of the one God whom we serve, the God who's one in three, three in one, an indestructible unity or triunity or, or trinity. You see, when we walk in his strength, we begin to display visibly what we already have, unity, oneness. And when we realize the great unity he's given us, it makes us cherish it. It makes us want to maintain it. Because what unites us as Christians is much greater than what divides us. And that should make us strive for visible unity with one another. Visible unity through, what did we read? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. Three points building on that idea today. The first one is this. We should be eager to maintain our unity because first, we are one spirit-filled body. One spirit-filled body. I want you to notice the transition of sorts from verses 1 through 3 to verse 4. Starts out in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4. There is one body in one spirit. It's almost, does, does he really connect those thoughts or, or, or not. It's almost like the connection is sort of implied, right? Think about it. What's he saying? Walk worthy of your calling because the pure and holy God saved you from impurity because God saved Jew and Gentile who are now one in Christ. Walk worthy of your calling in purity and unity in purity to reinforce the unity in a pure, holy, Christ-like life, with those words again, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. Doing that is how you show your eagerness to maintain unity in the bond of peace. And why should you care about unity? Verse 4, because you're one. You are one. If you're a Christian, you're part of one body because you're all unified by one spirit. He's almost saying strive to be one because you are one, right? We have fellowship in each other's gifts and graces, the communion of all the saints. Now on communion Sundays, we confess something together that talks about this, right? We confess the Apostles' Creed. 
not written by the apostles, but it's representative of their teaching. How many Christians have said those words? Do you ever think about that? And how many languages around the world, through the ages? And in particular, think about the third section, the Apostles' Creed. What unifies the third section? It's not just a hodgepodge, a communion, forgiveness, resurrection. The third section of a Trinitarian creed is it says at the beginning of it, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And what flows after that are the things we have in common as Christians because of the indwelling spirit, the one spirit. Think about it. The holy universal church. Universal, that's what the word Catholic means. The universal church that's bound together by the one spirit. The communion of saints that are in community because we possess the one spirit. The forgiveness of sins, which coincides with the new birth and the gift of the one spirit. Resurrection of the body. Because of the same spirit that, uh, excuse me, because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is also in you, as Ephesians 1 says. In the life everlasting. We believe in that because it's guaranteed by the down payment of the one spirit that joins the one body together. And if that's true, then I can maintain unity. Despite Frank's bad day and Josephine's apathy, I can do that. If your name's Frank or Josephine, I'm sorry. I can bear with them. I can bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now, true story. I, I think I got an amen in the back there. That was great. At first, I feared this sermon was going to be too short. That is not a joke, but it's okay to laugh. And now I'm afraid I don't have enough time to talk about all the ways that the Holy Spirit binds us together, motivates us to maintain our unity. After all, doesn't the Spirit lead us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can rattle those off quickly because I have a summer camp song. I could sing about it, but I'll spare you. But if we all bear the fruit of the Spirit, is it more or less likely that we'll be unified? If we all seek the Father in prayer, giving thanks for the Spirit who intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words, then will we be more or less likely to stay unified? Staying in step with the Spirit, it doesn't cause disunity, no sir, but, but grieving the Spirit, oh, that might cause disunity, probably will. But let me be quick to say again, some of you are striving for unity. I can see it. You're working through reconciliation, formally, informally, working on your marriages, broken friendships that need restoration. Some of you are providing relief through adoption and foster care for families, parents, and kids in hard places. You're doing things in the community, supporting groups like Life Network. They don't simply offer ultrasounds, but that's quite a gift by itself. They also offer parenting classes for moms and dads navigating unexpected pregnancies. You might be doing that. You might be working with Springs Rescue Mission. Some of you are. Mercy's Gate, Gospel Homes for Women, or other works like that. There's more I could say, but regarding the things I have said and the ones I left out, thank you. Thank you for the ways you're striving for unity, not just in this church, but with the entire body of Christ, helping those who need help. Thank you for that. To channel our Sunday school from 1 Thessalonians, excel still more. Keep at it. You won't regret it. 
As Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Don't grow weary in well-doing and in doing good. Now, we all do at times, right? Talked to somebody just this week who was a bit weary. I, I hope that I made him a little bit less weary. I hope that you leave here a little bit less weary than when you came in, more convinced that you're doing the right things, the things you should be doing, or maybe more convinced that I have to stop doing that. It's a waste of my time. It drags me down because we might grow weary and we might, frankly, not be able to do as much as we want in any given week, but our self-worth is not dependent on those things. Our God is not hovering over us saying, earn this, what's wrong with you? No, he's there to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's there to remind us that the same spirit who motivates us to maintain oneness is the same spirit who is our guarantee of, it, of our internal inheritance. One spirit that the whole body possesses. I hope that makes us eager to maintain unity because the one body to which we belong has one spirit who binds us together. Therefore, Calvin said we should dread every animosity. We should instead be eager to maintain unity because we're one spirit-filled body. That's our first point. Secondly, we should also be eager to maintain our unity because we have one allegiance-demanding Lord. The second point is that we have one allegiance-demanding Lord. You see it in verses 4 and 5. Let's read that. Midway through the verse, right after one body and one spirit, it says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Remember the progression of thought again. Walk worthy of your call. Walk as one by humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love, because there's one body, one spirit, and then one hope, as we said, as we just read. Belonging to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Have you given any thought to how these ones fit together, starting with one hope? I think the best way to understand it is I don't remember where I read this, but they all connect to the one Lord to whom we pledge our highest allegiance. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean that patriotism, pledge of allegiance to the flag, rightly understood that any of that is bad. But it does mean that Americans, Germans, Alabama fans, every tribe, tongue and nation have a higher allegiance, don't we? In this sense. You see, life is not much different in the 21st century than it was in the first century. In this sense, Caesar is Lord. That was what Roman citizens were expected to say at times in the first century. Christians couldn't say that in good conscience. Today, there are hundreds of other lords demanding our allegiance, many of them with a financial motivation, right? They want our allegiance because they want, they want our money. But again, all these, these ones that we read here in these verses, they're connected to our one Lord who demands our ultimate allegiance. Our Lord Jesus, is he not the object of all these things? Isn't glorifying him, enjoying him, our chief end, our chief goal? Our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he the one we hope in? 
the one we believe or have faith in, the one we're baptized into, isn't he? He's our one and only hope, not Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, we need, to, we need to think Heidelberg, not Hollywood in this instance. You could also think of Titus 2.13, the blessed hope that we await when Christ will return for his bride, his church. But back to Heidelberg, Heidelberg Catechism number one. These are the doctrinal standards of the Dutch Reformed tradition. Very well known, their first question, what is your only comfort? Doesn't say hope, it does say comfort, but there's definitely hope in here. What's your only comfort in life and death? What's the answer? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The next three paragraphs are really good too. But I am not my own. I belong to my Lord, my faithful Savior, my rock, my Redeemer. Doesn't that make you grateful to belong to his church? Doesn't it make you want to maintain unity in his church, a refuge on its best days from the rat race that is the world around us? Our Lord Jesus is our one and only hope. He's also the one we believe in. Now, sometimes the Bible talks about the faith, the faith, the objective body of truths that the Bible teaches. For example, Jude 4, what we've been looking at, Wednesday night men's Bible study, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now that's not exactly what Ephesians 4 is talking about, but it's close and it's connected to that. In other words, it is saying we all have one faith, one object of our faith. If we're Christians, we believe in the same Jesus. We have faith in the same Jesus. And that implies that, by the way, we believe certain things, certain articles of the faith, that idea again, about Jesus, right? Now, I've said before, we have a, a relatively low bar for membership at our church, PCA churches. We have a higher bar for leadership. By the way, that doesn't mean we have no expectations for members. You think about some of those membership vows, living as becomes a follower of Christ, supporting the church's work and worship. Uh, by the way, that's vow three and vow four and then vow five, submitting to the church leaders, striving for purity and peace. That's, that's not nothing, right? But what is one of the five very basic things you must believe to be a member of this church or another PCA church? Membership vow number two, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? As the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. By the way, I left out vow one in this whole discussion here, but if you give me five more minutes, I can squeeze all five membership vows into this sermon. But surely every Christian who is born again believes that, right? Believes in Christ, the one Lord we believe in. And Christ is also the one Lord that we're baptized into. As it says, we have one baptism. Might be confusing. You're, you're thinking, you know, we have different modes of baptism. There's sprinkling and pouring. There's immersion, all those things. And, and the Christian church has had different thoughts over the years about what age someone should be baptized at. But we have, Paul says, one baptism. I don't think it's a stretch to say Paul is saying baptism is supposed to be the source of our unity. Well, why isn't it always? 
I'm going to suggest that if baptism brings us more pride than unity, our focus may be off. And also if it brings more insecurity than unity, our focus may be off. Maybe at times we're so focused on the amount of water, whether that water came from the Jordan River or not, whether a relative baptized us, whether a famous preacher baptized you. That was a problem in biblical days in the first century. First Corinthians talks about it. We're focused on all those things that maybe we've all forgotten who we're all baptized into. We're baptized into Christ the Lord, are we not? Baptism is all about what and who the sign and seal of baptism represents. What does it represent? It represents God's promise to wash away our sins if we confess Christ as our one Lord. Promises to wash away our sins as water washes away dirt from our bodies. It also represents God's Son, our Savior and Lord, the one who secured our way to God, the one who makes baptism possible, the one who commands us to be baptized and to obey all that he commanded, including the command to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Why should we be eager to do that? Why should I, any one of us, be eager to do that? because I believe in a salvation that seems too good to be true. It's downright scandalous that my Lord would save a wretch like me. It's one faith. I hope in a life that's better than I deserve, a life more abundant and free, secured by my one Lord. And I was baptized into a life I did not live. I quoted this hymn a few weeks ago, a life I did not live, a death I did not die, another's life another's death. On these, I stake my whole eternity. We have one Lord. May we find unity around that common experience, that common belief, that common testimony. We should be eager to maintain unity because of one spirit-filled body and because of the one allegiance-demanding Lord. And then thirdly and finally, we should be eager to maintain unity because we have one family with one father. One family with one father, verse six. Your family remains your family, so you better treat them right. It's, of course, not always easy. Sometimes involves tough love, other awkward things in the course of family life. But even if we have to be tough, tough love, to avoid enabling and other things, we pray that we're at least as loving as we are tough, right? <laughs> that we speak the truth, hard truth if it has to be in love, because we're family, especially in the church. We're part of one family. If other factors haven't motivated you to want to maintain unity, I hope this one does. It says in verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He's over all. He's high. He's lifted up. He rules over us through all. He's working in and through us by his providence, by which he upholds and maintains the world, and he's, he's in all by his indwelling spirit, by the energy that he so powerfully works within us. Makes me think as well of Romans eleven thirty six from him, through him, to him are all things. But we have one God and Father. What kind of Father is he? Maybe more importantly for some, what image comes up when you think of the word Father? It's not a good image for everyone. 
I'm blessed to have a good father. One thing that makes him a good father is that he, he says he's not a perfect father. None of us are. By the way, if you are, please come meet me after the service. I have a surprise for you. Just for you. But this father, he has all of your father's good qualities, only better. He has none of your father's negative qualities, not a one. He's a heavenly father, dwells upon the clouds, mighty enough, loving enough to move heaven and earth to help us if need be. All that a father should be and more. And Jesus would say this of his father in Luke chapter 11. He says, if you then who are evil, these people talking to him, he looks at them speaking the truth in love. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's a good father. He's given us all that we need to maintain unity, including the gift of the spirit. And I want us to keep in mind, maintaining unity, it's not an all or nothing proposition, right? Don't hate yourself because you haven't fixed every single relationship yet. And do give thanks for even the teetsiest little bit of progress that you're able to make. If you're able to mend some relationship just a little bit, praise the Lord for that. Give thanks for that. Keep at it. Give thanks if, for example, you had the humility to say, I'm sorry, even if the other person was more at fault. Quick story, one of my elders was talking to me. I had this weird situation. And I said to him, yeah, here's what happened. And I'm like, I, 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 do I need to say I'm sorry? And, and he said, yes, but don't think this is mostly your fault. You need to apologize for your 5%, and you let him worry about his 95%. I've told it many times Good advice that still sticks with me. Thank you, Brian, one of my elders back in Mississippi. Give thanks if you had the humility to do something even like that. Be eager to maintain unity and pray that you'll be just as eager tomorrow, more eager even, because we have a good father who's created us, who's recreated us, who's redeemed us. And maintaining the indestructible unity we have as the church that pleases our heavenly father. And if we want to please our imperfect earthly fathers, how much more should we want to please our heavenly father? I have a story about my father. I didn't ask his permission because he's supposed to be out of town this week, but I think I'll come off. Uh, I think he'll come off looking better than me in this story. I think it was my 30th birthday only a few years ago. I'm kidding. It was several years ago. Um, <clears throat> I think it was the last time I got in a heated argument with my older brother. And if you guessed that it involved football, well, congratulations. I made a comment about the former quarterback of his alma mater, Cam Newton, who played for Alabama's biggest in-state rival and, and how he should have been suspended, how the NCAA was toothless. And of course I was right. And of course it had nothing to do with that quarterback beating my team and authoring this unbelievable comeback against my alma mater in a big game. Nothing to do with that. Understand. It was obviously on the righteous side of this argument. Some of you know what that feels like in the moment. We carried on for a while. Frankly, it's kind of pathetic to have to admit all this. After we'd carried on for a while, dad simply said, okay, I think that's enough. It was all it took. 
No shouting. Not from him anyway. No speeches. Just a word. You might call it strength under control from a good father whom we both wanted to please. In Ephesians 4, it seems to me like our heavenly father is kind of saying the same thing to us. Okay, it's enough. It's time to get along. You all belong to one spirit-filled body. You all hope in, believe in, and were baptized into one Lord. You all have one father, and he's saying it's time to stop our petty squabbling and get along. Oh, in fact, he has a higher standard, doesn't he? Not just getting along, not just maintaining a fragile peace. He calls us to be eager to maintain peace and unity with all humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. And as hard as that sounds, it gets easier when we remember how our Father has acted towards us, doesn't it? Towards all of us, not sparing his own son, not lashing out but showing gentleness, not abandoning us but showing patience, not bearing a grudge, but bearing with us over and over and over again, not retaliating, but showing us love. If my father acted like that towards me with gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love, then maybe, maybe I can get along with others. Maybe I can even be eager to maintain unity with the body, the church, the family, that my good father has called me into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good and gracious. You're good and gracious when we fail to do all of these things that we've talked about. And Father, if we find ourselves weighed down by guilt, would you remind us that you've called us. You've called us out of the darkness and into the light. And you've given us the strength to walk in newness of life and new obedience. You've given us the grace that's greater than all our sin. And Father, if we, if we aren't convicted as we hear all these things, oh, Father, wake us up. Help us realize that, no, we're not the, <laughs> we're not the one who's got our act together. Everybody else needs to do what I'm doing. If we think that way, we probably haven't looked at ourselves hard enough. We probably need to pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And O God, whichever place we're in, a place of complacency, denial, a place of guilt and shame, O God, would you lead us all in the way everlasting? Would you lead us to your Son? his grace, that we might find strength in our time of need. We pray it all in his great name. Amen.